0: Welcome to Project Update, a weekly podcast about the projects we're working on, or not. I'm Dave Ramsey. And I'm Joe Simpson. Or not. <laughs> How's it going this week, Joe? Oh, pretty good. How about you? Uh, not bad. A little little off, off the plan. We'll talk yeah. about that later. Sure. Um, We uh, don't have any follow-up this week, but I wanted to... Give everybody a brief reminder that if you like Project Update and would like to hear more, it would really help us if you could like us, star us, or otherwise review us in your podcast player or network of choice. Uh, Apparently, most of these systems not only use that data for ranking, but also to make suggestions to other people about the kinds of things that they would like. So when you have an opportunity, please leave us a review. Thank you very much. Uh, So if you have follow-up about this episode or previous episodes, you can reach us on Twitter or we have a contact page on the website for the podcast. It's project-update.com slash contact. So what have you been working on this week, Joe? So
1: I finally got around to, I guess, settling on a name or settling for a name. To be more accurate. So we talked about what my project <laughs> is last week.
0: I, I so hate naming on the App Store. Proceed. Go yeah. ahead.
1: So I had actually picked the name for the app out a couple of months ago. Um, and I guess I had done my research a little bit wrongly. I looked in the App Store for the name and nothing came up. But So I assumed that the name was available. And I've been kind of proceeding with that name the whole time. Just the one-word name "retrospective" to kind of describe what the app is. Just it's a cool word, and it definitely fits with the type of data that I'm building this app to track. But when I decided to write a blog post about last week, I figured I better make an App Store Connect page first, just to make sure. And I went in there, and "retrospective" was already taken. And I'm sort of reading into how this works, and apparently. If I guess at some point before 2014, developers could reserve a name for like 90 days while they were working on an app, but then it would expire and become available again. Sometime in 2014, Apple changed that policy to basically allow people to reserve a name indefinitely. And it looks like somebody somewhere at some point reserved the word retrospective and never published anything. So I can't call my app that. Mm-hmm. So I tried retrospectives, you know, that's close. Mm-hmm. And that was taken as well. And so I I kind of pulled out my branding document from a couple months ago that I started working on and looking at the alternatives, one of which some of them were just like adding a subtitle to it. So like retrospectives, colon, a look back, um, I had a couple of variations of that. You sent me a couple that you liked. And it was kind of the that phenomenon when you flip a coin to make a decision, but mm-hmm. while the coin <laughs> is in the air, you decide what you want. That's yeah. kind of what happened last week where I sent you a couple suggestions. You sent me a couple suggestions back. And the one that neither of us really mentioned was the one that I decided that I liked.
0: The the version of that for me is I flip the coin see the result and go, no. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, yeah. so I I went with Retrospective Timelines, which is, you know, it's a lot of characters on one line. Um, But the app on the homepage of your phone can still be called Retrospective or maybe even just Retro. I'll probably play around with the naming of that. Um, But the App Store name itself is Retrospective Timelines. That's the official product name. So I finally settled on that and got a blog post out about it last week. And that was kind of a big weight off my shoulders so I can actually start talking about this stuff uh, more intelligently and more specifically rather than being really ambiguous about everything. So I wrote a blog post about the project and then a flurry of blog posts throughout the week about the stuff that I'm working on. And it was just nice to be able to do that again without having to be like evasive About what I was doing. Um, So, I guess the thing that I spent most of my time working on last week was the event sorting problem. And this is a really good example of the type of person I am who can take a relatively simple requirement and just explode it in complexity until. I just ask myself to leave. And so this this is a really good example of that. where We
0: we are our own worst customers.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Like I used to work at a company and I had a a manager that I reported to that was really, really good at very kindly and compassionately stepping in front of me when I got in one of these situations and just like pointing me off in the direction that I need to be going. (laughs) I don't have that when I work on my own. Yeah, that's kind of what this podcast is for. So, the the initial requirement was, you know, when you tap on a timeline, you go to a list of related events for the timeline. I want them sorted in a way that makes sense, and you know, first thought was just to sort them by start date. And as soon as I started working with my own data in the app, I realized that there are some types of data that I want to be sorted by the end date but I don't really want a setting on every individual uh, event to control that. And then we decided to do that at the timeline level. It's kind of what we talked about last week. But then as I was thinking about that, it really occurred to me that I really want some of my events to show up multiple times in the same list where they show up at the start date position and at the ending date position so i started working on some ways to deal with that and i I came up with two completely different approaches to this Uh, the first one was basically taking my data from core data so i've got an event table which got you know a name start date uh, end date notes and stuff like that so query my list of events for a timeline and then in a view model take that list and explode it out into a couple of arrays and then mash it back together. So make make an array of all the events with a start date, make an array of all the events that have an end date and and a setting selected, and then combine them together as a new array. And I did that by making a container object called event container that just holds a date that I can use for the sorting, and then a reference to the original event record So that was option one. The other option was massive schema changes. And by massive, I don't really mean massive because this is a (coughs) tiny app. (laughs) Um, So we'll talk about that in a moment. But I decided to go with option one last week because it was different. Like I haven't really done that type of work. I usually, you know, I'm a database guy, so I always pick up the database schema hammer whenever possible. Um, So I, I put that into place last week and it works, but it's bad. And what I mean is if I was just making a report, like spitting this out into a PDF or a web page, then I would just stop there. But because I'm using it to drive my interface, it it just kind of sucks. Like everything that I do on that list requires that entire list to be recalculated from the start. So I lose all of that slick, awesome stuff that you get in iOS apps of like, adding a row and just seeing one row insert in with an animation or deleting a row or reordering stuff or going into edit mode. Like even just entering edit mode for the table would cause the entire list to redraw from the ground up. So like, this is not a great solution. And basically that was happening because my initial event list was based off of data in a fetch result controller where I'm just modifying data, the underlying data for the fetch result controller, but my view, is listening to changes from that fetch result controller in this case i had basically taken the fetch result controller out of the equation and was just using an array variable and an array property on the view and that just wasn't as just wasn't as good i mean there are ways for me to get around that but it just all of a sudden i need to start handling all of the array insertions and reordering all that stuff and at that point like why am i using core data if i'm going to do all of this myself right so i decided yesterday to revisit the database schema standpoint and i think i'm actually about halfway done with it I spent some time on it this morning but i think it's going to be a better solution because i'm going to end up with a an events table that just has a name and some notes and then a date table that just holds the instances of the dates and then i came up with you know the types of event that i can have would be i guess there's not really an event type there is an end date setting on each event so every event has a start date if it's if there's no end date selected then the start date is just called a date and then there's a little segment a segmented control for the end date and by default it just has a value of none but it also has ongoing to handle those open-ended dates that we talked about last week and then I'm calling it closed for now but I may change that word to something else Um so there's none ongoing and closed so none just means that there's no need to create an end date record ongoing means go ahead and create one and mark it with this tag so that I know to just show the current date whenever I see this record. And then the close date allows you to use the date picker to select a date. So at that point, if if I get all the data into that table that way, then I can query the dates table instead of the events table when I go to the event list and build all All of my rows off of that. And because each event row knows what type of record it is, I can also get some really fast UI filtering and sorting Stuff where I can say hide all the end dates, and that just all go away, or show me only show me date ranges, or only show me single events. So I can it I can build like a really speedy UI that way by just modifying the uh, fetch request.
0: So in the end, the right answer was going after schema.
1: Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. Oh, so, what a lovely job! Yeah. So The one thing that I did differently to any database developer, this sounds like a one-to-many relationship, but I didn't do a one-to-many relationship. I did two one-to-one relationships. So from events to the date, there is a start date relationship and an end date relationship. So that on the event side, it just looks like I have two additional fields for start date and end date. They just happen to be in a different table. Um, I initially, as I was walking around the park, thinking about this yesterday, I thought, well, I could make this a many to many thing, but then I need to, you know, that would allow me to have smaller milestones in the middle of, you know, a date range. But then I realized like, I'm just recreating the timeline at that point. And I don't want to, like, if I need nested timelines then I can have nested timelines, I don't want my event entity to become a timeline itself with a bunch of sub records. (laughs) So it's at this point I realized that I'm basically fracking the rabbit hole, just trying to dredge up as many problems as I can for myself. So yeah, that's that's kind of where I'm at now. Um, I need to finish basically just the data entry level code. I also want to spend some time this week as I'm cleaning up the schema, I want to kind of simplify the core data stack that I've been using. I mentioned a couple of weeks ago that I, I found a sample project from somebody who wrote basically a core data data source manager class that handles basically it's just it's an abstraction layer between my SwiftUI views and the core data stuff and it implements the fetch result controller and every time I need to make a change to that, I end up just making a new function and adding that onto that. But I think I'm going to basically simplify that down because that is built in such a way as to be abstract based on what entity you're you're dealing with. So you create an instance of it for the core data entity that you want to then call. You, you set properties on it and call functions on it to have it do stuff. But I think I'm just going to make some dumbed down versions of that. So make one for timelines, make one for events, and make one for dates so that I can just write exactly what I need without having all of the other stuff there. So it's gonna take another maybe day or two to do that this week, but I think it'll be better for me to be able to maintain over the period of the life of this app. So this week is, I probably won't do much with UI this week, I'm spending so much time on the schema stuff and the core data stack. Um, I do need to start thinking about how to visualize the, the different types of rows when they show up either on like a table view or in a more graphical view. For now, I just have um, some different labels. So if it's, a milestone date it just says date colon and then displays the date if it's a date range it'll show a record for the start date and it'll have a date a start date label or an end date label i also have a little circle icon on each of those rows on one of the versions i have and the milestone just has a filled in circle and the start date has a half circle and the end date has another opposite half circle and i, I kind of like that but not really sure but i need to play with different icon options and just different ways to represent that. It may just be a matter of using like a using rounded corners on the shape itself of the mm-hmm. like a whole you know rounded capsule shape for the events and just don't round the corners at the bottom of a start date or
0: something like that. Were the half circles left and right or top and bottom?
1: They were left and right okay cuz that was what was in the uh symbols pack and it was too lazy to rotate them but
0: <laughs> no I, I it sounds a little weird on a vertically scrolling list mm-hmm. but i think left and right it sounds good
1: yeah the other option is to actually anchor them on the left or right or in the center so center alignment for milestones and then maybe left side of the screen for start date and right side of the screen for end dates. So, I may play around with that as well. I was I was also kind of looking at the way that Apple does this in any of their time-based interfaces like messages and photos. They always draw a new layout scrolling from the bottom. And I have no idea how to do that. <laughs> I really don't. I don't like, I'm not even sure if that's possible in SwiftUI. I'm guessing with collection views, that's probably just a built-in API, but I have no idea how to just scroll to the very bottom of a collection when presenting it. But that could be be an interesting way, because right now I'm presenting it from the top, but in descending order, so the most recent stuff is on the top. Mm -hmm. But in, in a lot of ways, it would make sense to have it ascending order, but position the user all the way at the bottom of the list, if I can figure that out.
0: I think all the times I've run into that, it just ends up confusing me because I try and scroll down and there's yeah. no down. Like my head says lists start at the top. Yeah. But but if it's
1: not a list, if it's more of a graphic, say, yeah, little capsules and stuff. So yeah, I'll probably do different versions of that and see what people like and don't like, see what I like and don't like.
0: Yeah. So how close are you to... To uh, um, test flight release,
1: um, don't know. Okay, it's a perfectly or,
0: reasonable answer.
1: Yeah, further away than I was a week ago.
0: And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's that.
1: Yeah, that's how that seems to work. I mean, I was reading into the test flight stuff, and Apple really wants you to use test flight for a nearly production ready app especially if you're doing any kind of public beta like the what i was planning on doing was like you know a nice sternly worded note in the release notes of like don't plan on any of this data being in the release version but apparently you're not supposed to do that <laughs> like okay. if you're if you're doing a public beta that data is the users and you need to treat it like production data Well okay then so i needed to really make this pretty rock solid before i open that up
0: right and also the discussion from last week is you really want to have your schema changes done before you do that.
1: Yeah, especially as I'm adding a bunch of fields right now without deleting the old stuff yet, I need to get all the new stuff working and then maybe write a script to migrate all over, over my data. Um, if not, I can just re-enter it, but that would be annoying. I mean, why spend 10 minutes on data entry when I can spend two hours writing an automation process?
0: Absolutely. do it because data entry is boring
1: exactly so that's kind of where i'm at for the week um what's going on with you
0: well um last week after the podcast the first thing i did the next day was um uh recorded another podcast really <laughs> i was a guest on the context podcast Uh, That's it, thecontextpodcast.com, which is the new podcast from Geist Interactive, the publisher for FM Perception, and the future publisher for FM uh, Comparison. Fingers crossed. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) And uh, that episode is not out yet, but they don't have a Joe Simpson. Hmm. Um, I have a Joe Simpson. Joe Simpsons are great if you're doing podcasts. Um, For anybody who's...
1: Don't tell anybody that.
0: <laughs> For anybody who's curious, the only reason this podcast exists is Joe. Well, thanks. He's the one who makes it all happen. Um, But in actuality, looking at their release schedule, it looks like they're, re- they're recording one week and releasing the following one. Mm-hmm. So if that schedule maintains, it looks like the episode may be out tomorrow. That would be October 1st. Um, but we'll see. I don't know exactly what date it's going to come out. Um, but it was a great conversation between me and Jeremy Brown. Um, we spent a lot of time kind of talking about the, the real, like the core usage loop for FM perception, you know, Mm -hmm. when is it most optimally used? How is it most optimally used? And, um, then some fun kind of background things. Um, power users will probably know most of these tips, but I, these are particularly the ones that I find that people don't end up hearing about or forget about, you know, we'll get a support request. Somebody goes, can I do blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, yes, absolutely. There's this feature built right into it here. I'm like, oh my gosh. Um, so yeah, it was a fun time. Um, and then got into a whole separate non-FM comparison rabbit hole (laughs) related to emergency, non-emergency FM perception maintenance.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: So it all started with a help desk request from somebody who was trying to run FM perception under Catalina. And it was bringing up an error message. The one that all developers are going to get really comfortable with that says FM perception can't be opened because Apple cannot check it for malicious code,
1: which is a horrible dialogue. It really first
0: is. All,
1: first of all, that's a lie. You can check it. You're refusing to. <laughs> <laughs> Cause we haven't filed your paperwork.
0: Right. <laughs> um, and normally my thought is, okay, I've got a couple of weeks before Catalina comes out. I'll, I'll want to deal with this so that it's ready to go on the day of release. That'll, that'll be fine. Like, as long as FM perception is compatible with released operating systems, mm-hmm. I think that's enough. And in particular, because FileMaker developers have a tendency to not push that line, mm-hmm. largely because FileMaker very often doesn't support the new operating systems on the day of release. So if you're a FileMaker developer and you are installing, installing pre-release operating systems, you're running some serious risks in your ability to do your job as a FileMaker developer. Yeah. But even once the operating system releases, that's really the point at which we find out the things that don't work under the new operating system. Um, and so like, I, I, I've stepped way off of installing the latest and greatest on the day of much less even earlier. Mm -hmm. I like to work with nice, happy, stable stuff where everything works together. And the day of release is not a good time for that. But regardless, I was looking at it and going, okay, well, that's a thing on my to-do list. And then I talked to Joe. (laughs) And Joe reminded me that FM Perception has a built-in update system. So FM Perception will check for new versions on launch and ask people if they want to install them, which is great. And so in my head, I'm going, yeah, you know, there'll just be a new version and they'll install it. But the problem is you have to launch the app to run the auto-update system. But in order to launch the app, you're going to see that dialogue if you've already updated. So I really need to get people on the new version before Catalina comes out. Which means I have to write the new version (laughs) before Catalina comes out. And the further before Catalina comes out that I can do this, the larger the percentage of users who will never see that dialogue. Mm -hmm. So suddenly I had this thing that had kind of a time limit on it, but not a literal time limit because it's not about the release. It's about getting as much time before the release. So that's why I say like emergency, -emergency. Mm non-emergency, like I've got to do it soon. It doesn't have to be tomorrow, but if I wait, if I just put it off and wait two weeks, I will have lost all that lead time. And I'm going to have a huge explosion of help desk requests from people who are launching the old version under Catalina and going, Hey, this doesn't work anymore. As a matter of fact, the help desk request came in saying it was crashing. Mm. That's how they perceived that message was catastrophic failure of the application. I'm not saying that's universal or that everybody would think that way, but that was the way this particular user perceived that. And I'm not even entirely sure, looking at the dialogue, that they're wrong.
1: Yeah, it's a really bad dialogue.
0: It really is. So now I've got to do the Catalina update. (laughs) Um, And there's a bunch of other things that I want to push out in an update for FM perception, but I don't want to, I didn't want to wait for any of those other things. Like Mm -hmm. this is most effective in the shortest time. So literally I pumped out an update that's no different from the previous version aside from fixing the Catalina issue. But first I need Catalina, which as we've just discussed. I wasn't running. (laughs) So when faced with these things, I usually say, Hey, let's just run it under parallels. Mm -hmm. A nice VM. I can build an app and then drag it in there and test it. It'll be perfect. So apparently parallels works for installing Catalina. That's what the blog posts say. So I hopped in there and started doing it. And there's some weird keyboard connection thing and mouse connection thing. I think it probably has to do with the high security settings on Catalina that make it difficult for parallels to kind of map my computer's keyboard to this virtual computer's inputs. Hmm. So... Oh, and then there's also the fact that installing Catalina right now, because I haven't really played with previous betas, so I haven't seen the new process. Step one is installing Mojave. (laughs) So, okay. So let's start with make a new VM. Now install Mojave. Now boot that one. Now... um, you get that one set up to be in the beta program. Now install the beta of the operating system. And now nothing works because I wasn't reading the blog post carefully enough. So attempt two: uh, wipe that entire VM, make a new VM, start over, install Mojave. <laughs> then before you go any further, install Parallels virtual tools. Hmm. Okay, so it kind of gets in there at some level and then reboot and then install the Catalina update. So I do that. And now now my keyboard and mouse actually work for about three screens. (laughs) And then there's just a screen I can't get past. It's literally it's like the do you want to send Apple Analytics screen and I can't press the proceed button. So wipe that VM uh, and then do something that I hadn't done under Mojave or APFS, which is make a new drive volume. Mm -hmm. Um, I've been doing computer stuff for a long time. I'm used to partitioning and all the pain that that involves. And this was dirt simple. Just, just stupid simple. So, okay. Make a drive volume, except... Yeah, so I make the drive volume for Catalina and then do a recovery to do an install to that drive of Mojave again.
1: (laughs) Do you at least have Mojave downloaded somewhere, like on a USB stick? Are you you Um, having to wait for it to download every time?
0: I'm having to wait for it, but I was using the fastest network that I have access to, which is pretty fast. So the download was taking three to five minutes. Okay. It's basically nothing. Um, So install Mojave um, and then install Catalina again. So I don't really have a Parallels accessible one because while Parallels will happily boot a disk partition as a Windows VM, they don't appear to support that for Mac OS. Hmm. So instead of doing this in parallels in a VM, which would be really convenient, I'm now booting back and forth. Fine. But that's fine. Like, it, all I need is for this thing to work. <clears throat> and so I hop in there, and then first thing I do is I confirm that I'm seeing the behavior that the customer saw. And so run FM perception. It says malicious code. And then before I tell them that you can do this, I want to confirm that I can do it. So I right-click on the app say open, it says, hey, this might have malicious code, but then has an open button. So I can go ahead and launch the app. So I launched the app, run a couple of tests. It generally seems to work. There don't appear to be any substantive issues with Catalina aside from the security.
1: So you can still
0: open it though. Yes, you can override it in the same way. Basically, they, they moved all the security up one tier. So things that were at the bottom edge of what was supported are now pushed down below the line and you have Mm -hmm. to go a step higher. So in the same way that you could run an app, an unsigned app that you downloaded off the internet, you could just right click on the app and say open. Mm -hmm. And it will show you a slightly different dialogue that allows you to go ahead and launch the app. And once you've done that once, you're fine. So at least if this particular user wants to use FM perception in the short term, I can tell them how to do that. So now I need to start doing my testing, except I've got a new problem, which is I have just told this new install of Catalina that this app is okay. It raises no further dialogues. So now I don't really have the ability to test a new version to see if it's going to raise a dialogue. There are apparently some, terminal commands that you can use that will allow you to uh, flip that bit for an application via the terminal. So for example, if a company wanted to deploy to all their users an app that hadn't been digitally signed as part of that deployment process, they could run a terminal command and make it so that this app never raised that dialogue. I mean, you've got to have administrative access to the machine to do it. So it's fine Mm -hmm. anyway. But for whatever reason, I can't seem to find what the variant is of the terminal command to make to undo that switch in Catalina. So I can't turn it off. So option one is I could wipe that drive volume (laughs) again, (laughs) again, and then install Mojave. And then install Catalina, and then I would have a test situation. But I said, okay, I'm going to start with, I'm going to go ahead and do my development. And we'll worry about this later. So I dig in and start looking at what the standards are. And those lines have moved in the last couple of months. Initially, when they started talking about this notarization and the hardened runtime and stuff like this, it was all of a piece. You had to do all of it. And I tried digging into it back when they first released this stuff because I knew eventually I was going to have to support it. And there were error messages all over the place, and it was terrible. Um, Now it appears that they've added another tier in between. So you can notarize your app with Apple without building against the hardened runtime. And that's going to work for maybe another year. And then that one's going away. And then in order to build your notarized app, you're going, or in order to get your app notarized, you're going to have to build against the hardened runtime unless that changes as well. And my thing was, okay, let's start with, let's see if we can go all the way. Cause if I can get to a point where I'm supporting everything properly, I don't have to worry as much about what those timelines are. So dig in, start building and all of those error messages have gone away. It builds basically from the get-go. And so everything looks happy. Everything's running. Okay, now it's time to get this thing notarized. And I can't notarize it because I use Sparkle. Oh. <laughs> Sparkle was a separately compiled library that handles the auto-update system for FM Perception. Mm-hmm. And not only that, I was using a custom build of it. Um, Because in order to get Sparkle to, like Sparkle would just say, this app needs to be updated. But it would have a Sparkle icon and it wouldn't have the name of your app.
2: Hmm.
0: And that was confusing to users because they were just kind of getting this random update message sometimes. And it wasn't clear what it was tied to, which looked like a security issue. I mean, it just, it looked scammy. And so in order to fix that in Sparkle, I needed to download the Sparkle source code and change how it was built. And that was a whole big load of fun. And then this is one of those spots where I'm not very good with version control. In theory, what I should be able to do is download the latest and greatest version of the Sparkle source code and then reapply my changes to it. Mm -hmm. As if these changes were happening now rather than a year ago. Never been able to figure out how to make that happen. (laughs) And it's not, like I'm, my Google foo is strong. I'm good at finding the answers to questions like this with Google. But that kind of thing with version control, I'm not asking the right question. Mm -hmm. And therefore none of the answers are even close to what I want. So let's download the latest and greatest version of the source code for Sparkle and dig in. And it turns out I don't have to do any of that anymore. (laughs) All of those modifications don't need to be done. It's actually supported within the Sparkle library. Fantastic. So I just go ahead and build that source code, add the library into the thing. And yeah, that's totally not working. (laughs) Something about that two stage process and building libraries It just, it wasn't ending up with something that would notarize. I would build the app. The app would look like it would run. I would hand it to Apple to notarize and they would go, yeah, this stuff isn't signed properly. We can't touch this. So. (laughs) Wow. uh, Let's go back and say, wait a second. They say the source code has everything that I need. They've made the modifications that I was going to make custom, which means I don't actually need to build this. I can just download the library. So I download the binary distribution of the library, drop it in, set up my signing stuff the way it's supposed to be, compile the thing, send it for notarization, and Apple goes, hey, you need to sign some contracts. (laughs) Now the good news is it's gotten past the previous error point. So we're
1: making progress. So we're talking we're not we're not talking code signing we're talking about document signing.
0: Document signing. Um <laughs> so log into the Apple developer connect site dig through there because my previous experience was as soon as I hit that if I had unsigned contracts it would pop up some kind of message but this wasn't. So I had to go digging through screens until I found like oh okay here's the thing and approve these couple new license things. Okay, so back to the app, send it for notarization, it accepts it, and it'll tell me when it's ready to go. Now, this is the fun indeterminate part, because it was not clear. Apple said this would happen quickly, mm-hmm. but exactly how long quickly is was a little unclear. Um, in this particular case, it was about 15 minutes Okay, um, to get back the notarized version um and so now i can drop that into catalina boot back into catalina and test it out and it launches quite happily and runs quite happily which looks great but i still don't know if i've actually taken care of the dialogue (laughs) at this point i'm chatting with joe It's like hey joe you're running the beta I know you haven't been running FM Perception under the beta. Can I just send this to you? (laughs) And so, yeah, emailed it off to Joe. Joe double clicks the app. It opens happily. No error dialogues.
1: Well, the regular security warning.
0: dialogue. Well, no, no, no error dialogues.
1: Yeah, no error dialogues, but it did give me the, this app was downloaded from the internet. Are you sure you want to trust this?
0: Yes, but then it says, okay. Like Mm -hmm. there's an okay button. Mm -hmm. That's all I really needed. So, yeah,
1: so do you so, have to do this notarization process for every update? Yes.. Ugh.
0: Um, as long as it sticks at fifteen or twenty minutes, it's not too bad because I honestly need that time, if nothing I can use that time for doing my uh update notes. Like there's a web page for every single version of fM perception that notarizes what's changed what bugs have been fixed. And this one was particularly complicated because I wanted to explain to people that it is very, very important that they install this update, but that simultaneously, it doesn't really matter if they install this update. Well, I I didn't want to... I'm very careful about not making false statements. I
1: mean, let let me write that for you. Nothing to see here, but this is really
0: important. (laughs) Well, it's like, um, because FM Perception releases versions that people get under maintenance, Mm -hmm. I didn't want somebody whose maintenance ended yesterday to think that they're running unsecure code. Or a bad version of the software or whatever. They should totally renew their maintenance. But all that we're talking about is whether or not you can get around this security dialogue and whether or not FM perception is being a good Mac OS citizen. Um, it is important to me. And there are some users for whom it will be important. People who don't have the ability to install software on their machines, but the auto update works. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't, they, they need it support and things like that to be able to modify their machine. Um, so for certain kinds of users, it's critical for some users. It's important. And for other users, it's completely inconsequential either because they're not planning on moving to Catalina for six to nine months or two years, or because they interact with their machine at an administrative level. And they're perfectly fine running something that says that it might have malicious code because they know me or Mm -hmm. they know the software and they know that this isn't something that, that, is a threat to them. So, um, so notarization built against the hardened runtime, which I'm not 100% clear on what that means, but, um, and, and part of, part of the hardened runtime is, it's another thing with those, um, uh, not authorizations, not attributes. There's the little things that you turn on to do, uh, cloud kit.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, what those, are those
0: things, those little toggles. Um. Anyway, there are over a dozen of these things where you can turn it on and turn it off. Like, can this you know can this application be Apple scripted <laughs> and things like that, so that other applications can send Apple events to this application? Well, by default. In prior versions, that ability is turned on. In the hardened runtime, by default, that's turned off. And you have to open a door for that. So, yeah. Wonder um,
1: how, I wonder how FileMaker are going to deal with this issue.
0: Yeah, I have no idea. No <laughs> earthly clue. And they may honestly just go for notarization and not hardening. At this yeah, point, because they do, and that'll this, happen later.
1: I mean, they release totally new versions every year, not updating the specific binary, but you know, throw away your filemaker eighteen, get your filemaker nineteen mm. now.
0: Right, right, and not like press this button and we'll just update you. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, so yeah, notarization built against the hardening, latest and greatest version of Sparkle, and then that's basically it. Like that's what. That's what this new version has. And for more fun, this is like the fourth new version that I've released. That's Mac OS only. (laughs) So I need a good feature release that gets those numbers back into sync Mm -hmm. because all of my updates have to start with, this is a new version for Mac. You don't need this for windows. This is just OS specific stuff. So, uh, I got that released. It's been pushed out. I haven't heard any errors, but because of the way filemaker developers generally approach betas, that may not mean anything.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Like there may be larger issues there that I'm unaware of, and I just have to wait for users to actually dig into it. Um,
1: it could be because the the users running the Catalina beta are experiencing such catastrophic bugs in the mail client they can't get a hold of you. <laughs> Could be, could so, be. It's it's not great. Don't no. up, don't upgrade right away.
0: Um. So yeah. So all of that was a lot of fun, and at least in the immediate term, doesn't have anything to do with FM comparison, <laughs> except that I really need to make a point of changing the project. Um, in. the the Mac version of the project to see if I can link against this stuff. But Mm -hmm. I'm not even sure at this stage whether um, uh, the mono systems properly support the hardened runtime yet. Hmm. That'll be something that I've got to dig into at some point. But since I'm not getting ready to publicly release FM Perception in the next couple of days, I'm fine for right now. So that was my fun. So hopefully this week, I'm looking forward to having an opportunity to really dig back in. And let's see if we can get this antler stuff knocked out. (sighs) If not, it's time to reach out and um, um, maybe get some official technical assistance with antler. Mm -hmm. Hire somebody, pay them some money get my remaining issues resolved (laughs) so yeah yeah do we need any kind of closure or was that just the end
1: I think that was the end